And oftentimes it's so much more than a head nod. You'll see it in the person's eyes. Episode three of Clarity in Conversations. I always, I always tell people that there's one correct answer in life to every question. And that correct answer is, it depends. Miscommunication in offices around the world leads to delayed projects, frustrated colleagues, and missed sales. This can be avoided. There's fascinating research that gives insight into how to have creative dialogues and clear conversations in the office and at home. Full of practical tips, insightful research, and inspiring guests, this is Clarity in Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten. Welcome to Clarity in Conversations, episode number three already. Clarity in Conversations targets people who work in organizations or companies and who rely on communication with others to be successful. So that holds for all of us. Welcome to everybody. First of all, a short flashback to last episode where we talked about defensive responses in the brain. I had some really nice conversations with a few of you following up that episode and the words of Caroline Webb about defensive responses that our brain initiates at the moment we feel under threat. I think it's been the big journey of my professional life to learn to recognize defensive mode and to become more adept at, at managing it. That was Caroline Webb. And let me remind you again of her book, How to Have a Good Day. There's a nice connection to today's episode, because once our defensive routines get triggered because we feel under threat, all kinds of chemical processes and hormones are released in our body to make our prefrontal cortex, which is the smart brain, go offline. So at the moment we feel under threat, we get dumber. So, so the so problem is you become dumber at that moment, which is a shame, really. And the prefrontal cortex is so important to us as the cognitive aspects of listening are handled by that part of the brain. In other words, when we feel under threat, we cannot listen very well anymore. And listening is of vital importance in conversations. There have been fascinating studies where researchers asked retired top managers what one thing they would wish they had done differently in their careers. And many of the retired managers answered, I wish I'd been a better listener. And another study showed that 90% of the managers, 90% in companies think that they are better listeners than the average. <laughs> you can do the math here. So a podcast about clarity in conversations will be as much about speaking to others as it is about listening to others. And why is listening so hard? What different forms of listening are there? And how come that well, these questions can only be answered by somebody who has studied listening skills for all her life. Enter Laura Janicek. Laura Janicek is professor of communication at Rockhurst University, Kansas, Missouri. She works as a trainer, a researcher, a speaker, and a business consultant. And Laura also used to be chair of the International Listening Association. And she has published a lot of research and insights on all these topics. She's a certified listening professional since 2010. If you didn't know, yeah, you can even be certified for your listening skills. Now, listening is not as straightforward as we all think it is. Have you realized, for example, that listening has two critical components? A cognitive component, which is all about the executive brain and our prefrontal cortex processing what we hear. And there's a behavioral component that shows others whether we are listening or not. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of those fundamental um, understandings about listening that once people have, they recognize that listening is no longer the simple concept that they thought it was. The majority of the listening 
process actually takes place in our brain. So that makes it a cognitive activity or a cognitive process. No matter how much I would like to look at your brain, Frank, on the inside to see what's going through it, I can't do that. So (laughs) I cannot see if you're listening or not. However, our behaviors are perceived by the other person to be a listener or not a listener. So if we were face-to-face here, I would be looking for things like, eye contact or head nods or those types of things. And what we know through the research is that people can really fake good listening behaviors and absolutely nothing's going on cognitively. So for example, I, you know, my students always think that they've invented this, but I think every generation of students thinks that they've invented invented this as well. You sit in a classroom and you're in a classroom with, you know, 50 or 100 other people. So it's easy to look like you're taking notes, but what you're actually doing is creating the shopping list. And when the professor looks your way, you nod and maybe establish eye contact or put your, your, your chin on your hands and you really look like you're listening, but you're not thinking about what they're talking about at all. So listening really is a cognitive activity, but within the communication context, it's perceived behaviorally. And what I always tell my students is the most important thing is to try to get those two to match. Yeah. Yeah, so the the cognitive listening then, can I see that as simply making sense of what you're saying? Is that that what it's about? (laughs) Well, I would, again, I, I love that you think that listening is simple or that you thought listening was simple because I think as you start going down this road, you see <laughs> yeah. how complex it really is. Oh, yes. Uh, according to the Wolven and Coakley taxonomy, there are actually different reasons that we listen. So listening always begins with some sort of motivation, um, but we can listen perhaps for comprehension. So when we're in a lecture or when somebody is giving us instructions, we're listening to comprehend or to understand what's going on. We can also listen to defend our position. So we can listen critically to what the other person is saying. So we can combat with our own arguments. We can listen appreciatively. So for example, I went to a concert last night and I wasn't thinking about any of the you know the comprehensive stuff i was just enjoying the singers and the instruments uh, so those those are just three of the different kinds of listening that we can do and so you can see that all of those would require different cognitive skills or different cognitive processes There is a difference between skills and processes. In our discussion after the interview, Laura and me concluded that maybe we talk too much of a listening skill and too little of a listening strategy. It's a strategy, it's a deliberate and conscious act to listen and it involves the right mindset, the right planning, the right attitude and yes, also some basic skills. But listening clearly is more than just these basic skills. I mean, we often think we're good listeners, but then we were not. And that's not because of my skills or my capacity. It's simply because I chose the wrong strategy. 
And that's also why confirming you heard the right thing when listening is so important. But what do we mean with confirming? Confirming is paraphrasing plus asking if you're right in a way that gets the other person to say, yes, you really understand me. You, you got what I'm saying. So oftentimes you would start with a paraphrase and then say, did I get that right? Do I really understand where you're coming from? Or other times you can start with, I wanna make sure that I understand what you're saying. And this is really important to me that I have it correct. What I heard you saying is whatever it was, the paraphrase. And then you look for the, the head nod or the other person to go, yes, you understand. And oftentimes it's so much more than a head nod you'll see it in the person's eyes. Somebody really understood me. Now, all of this sounds complicated. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought I was a good listener, but if I have to <laughs> think about all of this, um, this can get hard. Is it, I mean, I can imagine some listeners uh, to this podcast thinking, I don't have time for that when I'm speaking to someone else, right? I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that perspective, and that's why I like to call listening a practice. It is something that we do every day, and it's something that we spend time doing every day, and it is impossible to become a great listener overnight. So the more we learn about listening, the more we might be able to practice listening. So for example, perhaps the first day or even the first week, what you practice is actually those nonverbal listening skills. I'm going to practice having eye contact with people. I'm going to practice head nodding with people. And then maybe the next week you add some of the more verbal strategies of listening. For example, I'm going to paraphrase what you just said and ask if I'm correct. So I'll turn that into a confirmation. So I think it's a, it's a skill and a strategy that builds upon itself as long as we are conscious about doing it. And right. since we have to listen every day anyway, we may as well consciously try to do it a little bit better. Does listening depend on the on the on the mood I'm in? You, you know, I, I can imagine in some situations I'm very upbeat and happy and I'm interested to hear about you, but sometimes I'm stressed. But still it, it might be my my duty or my job to listen to you. Does does the mindset we're in affect the way we're listening? Mm, absolutely. Some of the earlier work that I did at my dissertation actually looked at cognitive capacity. And capacity is exactly what you would think of it. You know, think of your cognitive capacity as a bucket. So I have that much space to fill with something. What we know through scientific research is that emotions are elicited in the amygdala, and our emotions can actually flood our prefrontal cortex, which is where our thinking takes place. So if we have a lot of emotions that are going on and they're very strong, they're probably taking up some of our cognitive capacity. So we can't put that much attention and focus cognitively on what we're listening to. And that's exactly what we heard last week from Caroline Webb. 
When we were emotionally triggered or we feel under threat, our prefrontal cortex, the smart brain, goes offline and we cannot respond very well anymore. And that's a pity when I try to convince you of something. I am doing my best to rationalize with you, but if I did put you on the defensive, it won't work. My goal of convincing you was not reached. So what should I have done? Should I have listened more attentively then to show you that I care about you when in fact all I want to do is convince you? I wouldn't say that trying to convince somebody is a listening goal. I would say that trying to convince somebody is more of a speaking goal. Right? That's more of an influence. When we but, listen... But we do it at the same time, right? Well, we do listen and speak simultaneously. And I think having goals for both speaking and listening are very important. And oftentimes they do overlap. But in order to convince somebody, I'm going to have to listen to see where they are first. And then I'm going to have to move them incrementally to where I want to be. I can't listen, how do I say this? I can't listen to them to a change of mind until I understand what their mind is. So going in and really understanding where the other person is and then trying to convince them that my way or at least moving towards my way is a better way to go. So what I get from that is that you're saying we, we, we do ourselves a big favor when we time face these these approaches if, if i say i'm temporarily gonna park what i want because now i'm gonna pay attention to where you come from yes yes absolutely it's very difficult i think to persuade anyone on anything unless we know where they are and in order to figure out where they are we really have to ask questions and listen now, you said before, you gave a few very good examples, I think, of, of, of showing somebody else that we are listening. So it's, it's like nodding the head or repeating what the other person said. So, so a lot of it is non-verbals, a few are verbals. Are there any other tips you have for, for managers who think, I may want to improve myself in, in showing somebody else that I'm listening to them? The uh, I always I always tell people that there's one correct answer in life to every question, and that correct answer is it depends. And the educated <laughs> person can explain on what it depends. I was so, afraid you were going to say that. Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to back up with this assumption that things like eye contact and head nodding are culturally independent because I don't think they are. I know that there are other cultures where eye contact, particularly with a superior, would be seen as a, a sign of disrespect. Absolutely. And so I think we have to know what the nonverbals are in each culture to show respect. Be, uh, well, par it, paraphrasing your words then is a very good exercise for me to test if I understood you, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that I always uh, let people know, particularly when they're st starting out in any industry, you're going to get a lot of directions thrown at you. And so one of the best things that you can do instead of walking away going, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to figure this out. This is confusing. And I'm sure they're going to fire me next week is to actually turn to the person who gave you all of those directions and say, I want to make sure that I have this right. You, you would like me to do this, 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 and that. Is that correct? 
So using that con the confirming strategy. And so it, it allows both parties to make sure that that's correct. If you don't do that, both parties go their separate way and the manager or the boss is always thinking, I wonder if he or she is going to do this right. I bet that there, there will be so many mistakes that I have to correct. And the new employee is going to go, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, or I'm not totally sure, so I'm just going to try this and see if it works. And we would save so much time in business if we just took the time to make sure that we were on the same page. Um, you referred earlier in the interview to other cultures, and you said some cultures show that they're listening in a nonverbal way, in a different way than some other cultures. Uh, but if, if I take that broader, would you say that some cultures are better listeners than other cultures? Oh, that's a funny question. Um, no. <laughs> well, okay, maybe yes. I know, <laughs> that <laughs> I know that there are some cultures that are called listening cultures. So for example, Finland is called a listening culture, whereas exactly. the U.S. is a speaking culture. So the, I'll give you a, a personal example of how I didn't know the culture and didn't research it correctly when I first went and gave a keynote address at a university in Finland about 16 years ago. Uh, in the United States, we always leave time at the end of any kind of address, if it's in a small enough auditorium, for a question and answer period. So I go to Finland and I give a keynote address and I cover some research and I leave about 15 minutes at the end of the talk for question and answer. And I ask the audience, you know, I say what, what I typically say is, I imagine you must have some questions. What questions do you have for me? And Frank, you could have heard a pin drop. And I tried so hard to get questions for about four minutes yeah. and no one was raising their hand and no one was looking at me, which made me feel like a speaker that I had either spoken totally over their heads for the entire 45 minutes or I was so underprepared because they already knew what I was talking about, so they didn't have any questions. And uh, luckily, I had two friends in the audience who were Finnish, and, and they did raise their hand and ask questions. But one of them told me afterwards the reason that there are no questions is because Finland is a listening culture, which means the responsibility is on the listener to understand. One thing that, that for sure managers and, and professionals who are listening to the podcast are asking themselves is, what is it concretely that I can do to become a better listener? Again, it depends on where the person falls in the spectrum. I think one of the really important things to do, quite frankly, Frank, is to read some books and get a coach, get a communication coach. Right. Uh, and preferably someone who has like the certified listening professional designation or some type of designation to show that she or he is familiar with the literature. Because what I do find is a lot of people assume they know what good listening is and they are probably correct from their cultural perspective, but they're not necessarily correct from 
all cultural perspectives or even co-cultural perspectives. So for example, one of the examples that I like to give is interrupting. Oftentimes people say, oh, to be a good listener, you never interrupt, you just never interrupt. But that is not the case and it goes back to the culture question that you had asked previously. There are some cultures where interrupting is what you are supposed to do to show that you are building the story together. And if you don't interrupt, then you're seen as being not interested in being part of the group. Upfront, you told me in your coaching, when you're coaching business professionals who want to become better listeners, you're using specific tools like, like Echo and things like that. Can, can you say a few things about what that is? Yeah, well, um, we've got actually a number of different listening instruments that have been validated, and Worthington and Bodie just uh, actually edited a book that's called The Source Book of Listening Research, and it's a wonderful book that contains over 100 instruments of how we measure listening. So listening can be measured in many different ways, depending on what we're looking at. But the one that I'm probably the most excited about most recently, because I've just recently become a certified practitioner in it, is the Echo Listening Profile. And the Echo Listening Profile supports this idea that listening is a habit. So we listen habitually from a certain perspective, and we don't even understand that there are other perspective or dominance areas that we could be listening from and probably should be listening from. And what you're saying about the tool is interesting because what you're saying is people can think they're very good listeners, but that's probably based on the, on the listening model they're using. And they may miss out on three other models that they don't have at hand. Absolutely, absolutely. And what's so funny with the echo is sometimes people will go, well, well, I don't do that or I don't do that. I, or, or actually rather what they will say is, well, I do that. I listen from that way and I listen from that way. And the other people in the group will go, no, really you don't. Really you don't show us that. And uh, so it's, it's a great tool to understand the different ways that you can listen to gain more information and better information. That's Laura Janicek about listening skills, the different forms of listening and the importance of active listening. And that's also what I reflected on afterwards with Els de Meyer, researcher on communication and innovation at Fontes Education. Yeah, it was a really cool interview, I thought, because um, it's always hard to select the things that stand out because she said a lot of things that uh, made my heart jump with joy. But I think the two things that um, struck me um, in the interview you had with her was she was is, is the listening skills. So, so she was talking a lot about the listening. And I also think the role of context. And I know we've talked about context before, but I really think it's important here as well. So let me just start with the the stuff she said about listening. She was talking about active listening and it's that's something we, we actually actively teach our students as well, how to uh, look, in, look at someone, make a head nod or uh, go like, mm -hmm, you know, you've, you've shown that, that, um, that you understand it. But the cool thing is that active listening is not just um, about showing, oh, I have understood you, I know what you're saying, and, and for yourself kind of signaling, right, I'm, I'm still with it. 
but it also has a social function. And you've not spoken about that, I think, yet with her. Uh, the social function is um, every time you do that, so every time you make a head nod or you make eye contact or um, you say, all right, right, you know, you, you actively take a turn in the conversation and, and, and interrupt to say so, you also show who you are. Uh, you show that you're interested in the other person. You kind of take that opportunity to create a bond with the other person. Person. So it's a bit of a, a language on top of being instrumental there to signal, right, I've understood this, also has a social function there to kind of glue you together, to kind of create a relationship, to show your dedication or commitment in whatever conversation you're in there. And determines the level of trust you feel. Probably as well, yeah. yeah. So indeed, you feel indeed that there's someone there with you instead of just in the same room. So they're, you're both in the conversation then, probably indeed. Um, and indeed, maybe people may start yeah. trusting you more. There's, there's probably on trust, there's a lot more we can say. But it's it's definitely, I think it could definitely contribute to to that indeed. Definitely. So so you're saying that the first thing you took out was that, that uh, the, the, the conversation, the listening mm -hmm. skills are not only transactional to show, no, no, yes, exactly. I've heard you. It's also a signal that, yes, yes I'm with you. Really. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're reading off the same hymn sheet and to create a bond like we understand each other. And it's also... Um, of course, you see that also in, in meetings when there's more than two people involved, um, someone's speaking and you're in the audience listening, you're the one who can go mm -hmm, and nod and um, someone who's presenting feels they have a bystander, f first of all, so it's Absolutely. very encouraging, but also you show the public, the other people present, oh, but hang on, we have a, you know, we agree already, just so you know, whatever he or she is saying, I already agree. Now, if that the person really openly nodding and, and signaling that is someone in a hierarchical higher position, of course that makes an impression on, yeah. on the other people yeah, uh, present as well. Now there's a lot more to say about that I think because that also has to do with groups and, and social bonds yeah. and everything like that. But the second thing I thought was really um, struck me again as, as it did also in, in the interview I think you had um, with Steve was that it's so context dependent what are good listening skills or when to show uh, your active involvement in a conversation. Um, she spoke about interrupting, for example. Yeah. And I think you very right so said um, interrupting is, is culturally dependent. I don't. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't just come up with an example. I think where you you wouldn't do it. I think you spoke about you spoke about the Finnish uh, culture. Yeah, you, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. If you take two extremes, the Brazilian yeah. culture, you show that you're with somebody. If you right. interrupt, if I start talking at the moment, you're finishing your sentence. We're really together. Yeah, exactly. While the Finnish culture is like, when you finish speaking. I have the chance to think on it and reflect yeah, exactly. on it before I do my thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that that's of course very cool that it's it's so different depending on culture. But um, the the thing I think we we cannot forget is that it's also dependent on wherever you are. So whatever context mm. um, you're yeah. in, if you if you want to interrupt someone. Um, We've all seen all those sessions in the British Parliament over the last couple of oh, um, yeah. evening after evening. We've seen it and we all recognize that interrupting is, is done there and, and we can't even imagine that that's right. how our 
our office meetings go. So it depends on where you are, with whom you are, what is actually a good advice to give someone in, in, in listening and active listening and interrupting. So I love that, that she really took that in, into account and that she said, oh, the only good answer is it depends. It all depends. A short look back on the interview with Laura Janicek, Professor of Communication at Rockhurst University. Here's three tips you can take from today's episode to bring more clarity into your conversations in the office and at home. Tip one. Realize that even if your mind is switched off, you can fake to listen to somebody else. But there's no point in doing so. You don't have to behave like you're listening, as the other person will pick it up as fake very easily. It all starts with mindset, so decide first you really want to listen to the other person, and that you want to understand her. This will help you so much more than pretending to listen, which really is not a smart strategy when you want to be effective in the office. Tip 2. There's only one way to become a better listener, and that's not only to have good intentions. You need to practice, practice, practice. So do it in a phased approach. Focus for a week on behavioral affirmations, the second week on paraphrasing, and continuously ask people around you for feedback. This will improve your skills much more than only deciding, I want to be a better listener. Tip three. Interrupting in conversations is not necessarily a bad thing, as long as you do it with the intention to understand better. So show you wish to really understand the other person. And if you've done that and you've done so in a genuine way, you're okay to interrupt and expand your understanding. The other person will only appreciate it as long as you don't do it to claim airtime for your own great ideas. So far for some practical tips from today's episode. Thanks to Laura Janicek for being my guest about listening skills. I hope you succeeded to, well, listen very well. So that was episode three of Clarity in Conversations. So we'd like to hear from you as well, especially about the question, is it okay to interrupt somebody when you're listening to him or her? I mean, as de Meyer already said, it depends very much on the cultural context. So what's your experience? Is it okay to interrupt a colleague? Or better not? We'd like to hear your comments at frank at clarityinconversations.nl. That is frank at clarityinconversations.nl. In the next episode, we will talk about a technique that really does not work in the office. Responding to somebody else by saying, yes, but... So let me say that a yeah, but, a real, or the, the original yeah, but that we were talking about is not the key to healthy disagreement. That's just the key to further entrenchment in your own way of thinking. I'm going to talk about this famous yes, but response with Renita Kelhorn, executive coach and mental performance expert. In fact, a big problem in companies is that people are not having healthy disagreements and conflicts. So that's in two weeks from now. For this time, thanks to Laura Janicek, Els de Meijer, and editing production was done by Airwaves. Thanks for listening to Clarity and Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten.